the Anesthesia Podcast. Good evening, everyone. My name is Mike Charles, and I'm an editor of Anesthesia. And welcome to this live broadcast, which is all about the 7th UK National Audit Project, or more, more commonly known as NAP7. But more specifically, this is all about the challenges of defining, studying, and learning from perioperative cardiac arrest. With the discovery of general anesthesia came the issue of cardiac arrest during anesthesia. It's brought to a care rarely, range, rate rarely, ranging from 2 to 13 per 10,000 anesthetics, and there's much that remains incompletely understood. As such, perioperative cardiac arrest was chosen as the topic for the seventh national audit project of the Royal College of Anesthetists. With us today, we have NAP7 clinical lead, uh, Dr. Jasmeet Saw, as well as NAP7 fellows, Dr. Andrew Kane and Dr. Amira Kersamovic. Uh, so welcome everyone, good evening, and thank you very much for your time tonight. Good evening. Um, so I'll start with a question uh, to, to open up to the panel. Um, and I guess one thing that comes out from the editorial is that perioperative cardiac arrest is perhaps a little bit more specific than, uh, sorry, less specific than some of the topics from the previous NAPs. And that means that it may generate a large number of cases. Um, so why was it chosen and what was the process for selecting it? Um, I'll, I'll take that. So first of all, thank you for inviting us here tonight. And I'm going to just say that the project's starting on 16th of June. And NAPs, this is the seventh NAP, and NAP topics are chosen because they are, they are rare topics, poorly studied, potentially catastrophic or catastrophic, and important to patients and important to anaesthetists. And Perioperative cardiac arrest was chosen because it ticks all those boxes. So, for example, NAP5 was, will I wake up during my anaesthetic? But if you talk to patients, they're just as concerned about whether they will wake up after their anaesthetic. If you talk to anaesthetists, and we did a survey of anaesthetists in the Southwest, 97% thought it was an important topic and they would support it if it was a nap. And I think in 2018, a call went out from the College of Anesthetists, HSRC, looking for nap topics. And I proposed NAPS 7 as preoperative cardiac arrest, and so did, by coincidence, two trainees from Bristol as well, um, Richard Armstrong and Fiona Oglesby, both also proposed preoperative cardiac arrest. And out of several topics, it was chosen as a topic going forward. And you're right, it, it probably will generate more cases than previous NAPs in that it will pick up all the cardiac arrests that occur because of airway problems, because of anaphylaxis. So it will sort of look at some topics looking that have looked at in previous NAPs, but it will pick up a whole range of events that aren't currently measured in other audits. So the current in and out hospital cardiac arrest audits won't pick them up because most of the time a cardiac arrest team won't be called. And most anaesthetists are probably not involved with that many. So I think it's an important topic both for patients and anaesthetists. And I think we've put together a much bigger team, a much bigger stakeholder group so we'll be able to look at all these cases and hopefully come out with a very useful report and recommendations when we do bring out the findings. Yeah, I think I, mean, I think we certainly will see more cases during NAP7. Um, 
it's still going to be that every case is important. And uh, as Jazz has said, there's going to be multiple sort of etiologies and sort of mm. cardiac arrest really is almost like a final common pathway, if you like, of, of lots of catastrophic events in theatre. And whilst we might pick up things that NAPS have previously investigated, there's going to be a, a huge range of other things. And it's going to be primary cardiac issues. There's going to be drug issues. Um, uh, and, and all of those will will have their own sort of nuances that 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 will give us insight into the topic. Here's the key question, really, um, for anyone watching out there who's um, thinking about when they can get start getting involved with um, with this project. Um, I mean, I, I personally looking forward to contributing as well, and I'm sure our department will be. But but when will NAP start asking for for data, and, and what will the scope be? So, for example, what cases will be included and excluded? Uh, and uh, what sort of data will be collected? Um, so I'll take that question. Um, so the case review registry for NAP7 will uh, start on the 16th of June, and it will last for a period of one year. We'll be collecting data of perioptic cardiac arrest for a whole year. Um, perioptic cardiac arrest should be reported as soon as possible to the local coordinator, and might reiterate that all cases will be anonymized and confidential. We want um, and will be reported to an electronic database. Um, we want to know about all cardiac arrests that occur in patients having a procedure under the care of an anesthetist. What do I mean by under the care of an anesthetist? So anyone who has a general anesthetic, a regional anesthetic, uh, um, a sedation or local anesthesia, or even just monitored anesthesia care with the anesthetist present or anesthesia associate present, we want to know about that. With regards to what uh, the perioperative period means, that's actually been quite difficult to define. Um, and it actually took us a good chunk of our planning stage, uh, probably about six months to come up with a definition. So it turns out that um, sort of amongst the uh, NAP seven stakeholder group. Um, it means quite a lot of things to different clinicians and it probably the meaning of perioperative has changed over the last 10 years. Uh, so it ranged from um, uh, thinking that um, the end of the perioperative period means um, through the handing over of a patient care in recovery or critical care or uh, seven days uh, after a procedure. But what we've come up for the purposes of NAP7, um, we have agreed that the start of the perioperative period, um, and we'll be including uh, cardiac arrest events from the WHO sign-in um, with anesthetists present to 24 hours after the completion of a procedure. Um, and in terms of um, uh, the general uh, exclusions, we won't be including um, uh, any patients that um, are in cardiac arrest before the anesthetist arrives. For example, if we get called uh, to the cath lab and the patient's already in cardiac arrest, we, want, we don't need to know about those cases. Or ASA 6 patients, brain stem dead. Um, or even if there's any planned defibrillation um, for a particular procedure, for example, VT ablation. Um, but in terms of um, yeah, so uh, in terms of what we're going to include in the general case review registry, I don't know whether Andrew you want to take on that. Yeah, I can do. I mean, I think it's also in terms of that perioperative period that Amira yeah. mentioned. There was a lot of debate in the panel about how far to extend that, and we appreciate that making it twenty four hours after the end of a procedure 
most patients are not going to be in a theatre complex at that point. They might be in critical care, they might be in the ward, they've gone home, they won't be included. And so it's really important that we start spreading the message, not just within the theatres, but also to our colleagues in critical care and our resuscitation teams to make sure that the patient does go to a ward, for example, and then have a cardiac arrest, that we, we need to know about those patients. That's, that's really important. Yeah, I was just going to add to that in that uh, I think the core business is the cardiac arrest in theatre, you know, mm. having a general anaesthetic or regional block. And there are sort of slam dunk cases in that I think everybody will know them and hopefully report them. And then the start time, you know, the who checked sign in or the first hands on contact in cases where there hasn't been a sign in. And the what happens after they leave theatre, you know, and up to 24 hours. We're going to have these slightly fuzzy edges. But when you look at previous naps, some of the most useful learning has come from those areas where you know a slight blind spots yeah department yeah. Yeah. yeah or or yeah. places where consultants may not go to a lot or you know more remote so having that open you know i'm hoping everybody reports all those cases and i think there'll be a lot of use a lot of useful learning will come from those cases that occur after the patient's left there or been taken from recovery to the ward, et cetera. But uh, it does mean that uh, we will need to pick up those cases that are directly linked with anaesthesia or perioperative care. Yes, it's, it's great actually to see the thought that's gone into um, those particular problems. And um, it looks like no, st no stone's going to be left and turned, which is great. And, you know, for example, even, even thinking about, as, as a cardiac anaesthetist myself, even thinking about uh, how you get around the difficult issue of cardiac arrest in a cardiac theatre and, and how you exclude cardiopulmonary bypass, et cetera. Uh, mm. Everything has really been thought of, and, and that really comes across in the editorial. Um, but that said, why, why do you think this has been so underappreciated or, or understudied in the past? Yeah, I think Jazz, Jazz touched on this a little bit earlier. So I think, um, you know, if you have a cardiac arrest, on the ward, a two-two-two-two call goes out in this country, and you'll get the resuscitation team. But in most departments, you also get an activation of an audit process with that, and that 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 will be that case will be reviewed. Um, even if it's just a vasobagel, there'll still be a review of the process, and appropriate M and M um, within the hospital will be taken. But if you have a cardiac arrest in most theatre complexes in the UK, um, there's not necessarily a two-two-two call goes out. You might press the emergency buzzer, um, and if there's a good outcome, um, often uh, a Datex or, or, or some kind of report may not actually be placed. Um, so, you know, the, the patients who have a cardiac arrest where things have, have been, you know, definitely managed well and the patients had a, a good outcome where you might be able to learn something from, you wouldn't capture. Um, whereas, you know, you may only capture through incident reporting and things um, the, the, the cases where there has been morbidity or mortality. Um, and, and so one thing which NAP7 allows us to do is to actually capture all of these cases and say, you know, in, where there's been a good outcome and things have been managed appropriately well, what can we learn from that, as well as, um, you know, focusing on, 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 on poorer outcomes. Um, so I think that's one of the main things, really. Um, so there are two different um, streams to the study. Um, from, from what I can see, there's the activity surveys and the case registries. 
Um, so how, how will they work? Will, will they collect data at the same time or will there be phases or, uh, and, and what sort of um, things are you going to be looking for that are going to tell you the most important uh, outcomes? I think, uh, importantly, um, like previous NAPs, so we've sort of followed the recipe of all the previous NAPs in that there's three parts. There's a, a baseline survey that specifically looks at the you know, experiences, values and preferences of anaesthetists, and this is before NAPs, and this will be done, you know, mid-June where every anaesthetist will be sent a link to a survey monkey and asking questions about their personal experiences of perioperative cardiac arrest and their you know what would trigger them to start CPR. And then there'll also be a baseline survey of departments to learn about what structures and processes they have in place. So you know how do you call for help in their operating places? So for example, I didn't know some hospitals have a whistle that you blow. You know, if you have an emergency, <laughs> others will have an alarm. Some will have, you know, there's, huge, there's a huge range of doing these things, which I wasn't aware of until I started looking into it. So that's the baseline survey. Then there's the individual case review. And what, what we haven't mentioned so far is what, what is a cardiac arrest? And I think I'll just mm. go back to that. So we've, we've given a definition, and it's actually based on global definitions used for other cardiac arrest studies, which is, you know, if a patient needs chest compressions and or defibrillation, they, they're included in the study. And that does mean there'll be some patients whose heart probably never stop beating who get included. Yeah, but yeah, the actual definition is quite hard, and that's the one used in most cardiac arrest studies. And We've slightly nuanced it in that we've said if they have more than five chest compressions, because we, we don't want everybody who's had one or two, just in case. But uh, so they're the cases that are going to need to be reported. And we've got an online case registry where we'll collect all the details on those. And each one will probably take a fair bit of filling in, but hopefully most departments won't have many. So every hospital has a local coordinator who you'd report these cases to and then work with them to report them. And the important thing for those reporting these cases is that once they get put on the database and entered, those of us involved in the college won't be able to know where it's come from. So unless you write in there the name of your hospital and everything, we won't have any identifiers to be able to trace it back to an individual or a hospital. And just the way the database has been set up, We'll know how many, how many cases hospitals have reported, but we won't know which ones they are. Yeah. So, uh, so there is confidentiality there. And uh, Andrew or Amir, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think we absolutely do not want any identifiers reported in any part of the, um, the NAP process. So, you know, anywhere in the, the baseline survey where you might be asked about your own experiences or in the case review process. Um, and as Jess says, the, the, the confidentiality of, of, of the NAP process is something which has historically made people quite open about the process and what's happened. And, and, and hopefully that will lead to, to, to more learning. Um, and I think just to, to go back to the definition of cardiac arrest that, that Jess was saying, so chest compressions, they can be manual, they can be 
um, uh, mechanical chest compressions, there can be internal chest compressions and, and defibrillation as well. That's a, a, a broad, broad term, mostly be external, but you can do internal. If you think an implanted device has defibrillated a patient or even a precordial thump, that would also be included within the, the definition of defibrillation. Yeah, so yeah. I guess that enhances the worthiness of the data as well. If um, people aren't going to be identified or individuals aren't going to be identified, etc. So that's a really important message for anyone who is participating. Um, um, Amira, do you want to add anything onto that as well? Yes. So I think, I don't know, Jas, whether you mentioned the third part of the uh, NAP7, which would be the activity survey. Um, and that will be, uh, that runs alongside the case registry and we're planning to conduct that in autumn. Essentially, it will be collecting anesthesia workload over a period of four days. Um, and it will be, the first time will be ele done electronically. And it gives us sort of a snapshot view of the anesthetic workload across the UK. But it also helps us to capture risk factors and the rate of uh, antecedent events which are associated with the uh, periodic cardiac arrest events. Yeah, that's right. So the third part is so collecting four days of activity from mm. every hospital in the UK will then allow us to multiply it and get an estimate for an annual workload so for nap six i think the annual workload was three and a half to four million cases in the uk clearly covid has impacted this a bit but uh, we're hoping we're getting towards a stable baseline of activity and going forward in autumn we'll be able to get every department to report four days worth of data as amira said previously it's been done with tick boxes and those boxes Bits of A4 paper have been individually hand scanned in at the college. And this time we're going to try and do it electronically. So hopefully that's an update. <laughs> uh, just to mention, so all these cases, all the individual cases that are reported will be reviewed by a panel of peers. So people from various stakeholder groups. So we've got, you know, the neuro, neuro anesthesia group uh, and critical care society, Vascopy. Association, we've got ACTAC, we've got all the, the association, pediatric anaesthetists, the obstetric anaesthetists, the anaesthesia associates. So there's too many to name, but we've got people representing them all, and we've got lots of trainees, we've got ODP representatives, lay people, and we'll review as many of these cases as possible to identify learning and areas that we think will give us important information to improve patient care. And uh, I know one part that's new to this, Nat, is that we've got far more qualitative work and Amira has been doing quite a lot of that and looking at the impacts of these events on patients and anaesthetists. So Amira, maybe I'll give a bit more. Yeah, so Mira, so um, I, I was really fascinated by this as a, as a someone with an interest in qualitative research myself. It really, it really stuck out to me that around ninety percent of anaesthetists consider intraoperative cardiac arrest and death during or following anaesthesia and surgery is absolutely catastrophic, uh, and that is obviously associated with guilt and anxiety and and reliving of the event as well. Um, and Nap Seven is going to look at the human side of, of perioperative cardiac, cardiac arrest. So how will that work? That's, that's right. It's actually quite exciting. Um, for the first time in the history of all NAPs, 
<laughs> that seven would be touch on human aspects as do the baseline survey and the case review process as well. We'll have a sort of a UK overview of how Hydrocorrest uh, are um, uh, handled. So it's really important that NAP7 will be, allow us to explore that human aspect of these potentially catastrophic events. So they're catastrophic for the patient because they can lead to death or significant morbidity, even psychological sequelae. And for the actual individual anaesthetist and the team as a whole, uh, it, it can uh, be catastrophic in terms of emotional burden and the impact on um, uh, clinical performance and patient care thereafter. And um, how we'll be uh, uh, investigating through qualitative uh, questions through the baseline survey and also quantitative questions, which will pick up actual individual anaesthetists' personal and career experience. Not only will um, the survey will um, evaluate uh, individual current practices, but will focus on the impact on their personal and work life. Um, um, on top of that, or uh, sort of in the case review registry, so every uh, perioperative cardiac arrest that's uh, included in the database, we will be um, analyzing or asking questions about the immediate impact on individual anesthetists and also how the aftermath of the um, uh, event is handled. So especially the debrief, how was it done? When was it done? Uh, the changes to the list management. So was the list stopped early or was there a change in personnel? Um, and any support that was provided to uh, the individual anesthetist and any impact. Um, so these are all important aspects that we will be able to um, quantify and analyze through um, experts experience. We've got Cecilia Vindrola, who's a social anthropologist, who has been working alongside with us and is one of the NAPSA 7 steering panel committee. So she's had input in, um, and helped me also develop uh, the baseline survey and the sort of case review registry on, on which will be investigating sort of this human side, shall we say. And um, as Jazz said, uh, he has touched on it already. Finally, I, I'm also, as a complete side project to NAP7, it will be running a qualitative parallel study, uh, which will be uh, sort of having more in-depth and uh, lens view of what happens on the ground. And this study will be conducted across several sites across the UK. And I will be interviewing patients and staff um, on the experiences of perioperative cardiac arrest and also sort of especially with um, interest in the impact on individual uh, team members and the whole sort of um, institution uh, surrounding the event. It's quite a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it and it's going to be a lot of analysis and I bet it, it, the, the rewards are there to reap definitely from it and it'll be really interesting seeing qualitative research come out of a nap. It's, um, it's really excellent and a, a really great idea to do that. Um, th there's something else that's a bit um, unusual about this nap as well, because it's the first one to be done uh, in the COVID-19 era, um, mm. which we're very much still in. Um, so how do you think that this will likely lead to some new learning? So, yeah, thanks, Mike. COVID's obviously impacted the project quite significantly already. So we were just about ready to launch almost, well, over a year ago, um, before the first wave of COVID. And so COVID's put us back over a year, sadly, and it still poses some challenges. So, um, for example, you know, hopefully we're going to get to a, a point where 
activity will be roughly consistent over the course of the year that we're going to collect data. Um, but through those challenges, there's still some opportunities, like you say, and um, I think there's there's opportunities to learn if you know how how COVID might impact how we manage cardiac arrests. So, for example, um, or, or even the incidence of them. So, patients who've previously had COVID may or may not be more prone to um, having a, a cardiac arrest in the theatre. And then if patients uh, are being treated as COVID positive and you're in full PPE or um, you're waiting for swabs and that might be delaying patients coming to theatre, these may also be factors which affect the likelihood of having a cardiac arrest or even the potential outcome of that cardiac arrest. So we've actually used some of the time to that, that we've had from the delay to add extra bits into the case review process. So if a patient has had COVID or is COVID positive, there will be some extra questions and that will allow us to try and tease out these, these nuances. And um, I mean, hopefully there won't actually be that many COVID positive cases um, over the course, um, but I suspect there probably will be some. Mm. Um, what other challenges are you, are you anticipating um, and um, how would you think these will be overcome? Uh, so, yeah, I'll take that question. I think Andrew sort of already touched on one. As he said, we have delayed the product by a year, um, and we know that COVID-19 uh, has had a significant impact on anesthesia and surgical services, but we hope we're actually undertaking a project at a reasonable, stable baseline. Um, secondly, um, we've actually quite had found it quite difficult to um, adapt or change the activity survey from a paper form base to electronic. It's very quite it's challenging to convert it in such a way that uh, it will be very easily and quickly uh, be able to be performed during a, a busy uh, day case surgery list. But we, we're hoping that we will have it sorted all by autumn um, this year before the <laughs> activity survey launch. Um, and uh, sort of finally, I think there's also questionable how what people are feeling about NAP7, whether there's enough enthusiasm to participate and engage. Um, obviously, we're probably all fatigued about uh, from following COVID-19. Uh, it's been ongoing for far too long. Um, we know how important uh, the success of NAPs uh, is on um, anaesthetists on the ground. Uh, it really heavily does rely on them. And we do really hope that we want everyone to engage and be excited about the study as much as we are. We, we kind of encourage everyone to work with their local coordinators, uh, contact them, uh, engage with colleagues, as whether you're a consultant, a trainee, or an anesthesia associate. Everyone should participate. <laughs> um, we hope that people are ready to engage on something else other than um, that's not related to COVID, really. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna reiterate that in that I'm hoping people will be energized and mm. you know, so NAPs do rely on the anesthetic community, collaboration with every department in the UK, every anesthetist, anesthesia associates, the wider anesthetic and operative team. And I must admit, you know, we were all geared up for a May 2020 launch. We we had the editorials written, we had the and then suddenly you know, COVID took over. And I must admit, it's taken quite a lot of energy to get the ball rolling again. 
But, uh, you know, and even I was more, do I really want to do this and start it now? But the more I've got into it, the more enthused I've got. And, yeah, we're all rearing to go. And hopefully we can get a good engagement. Every hospital's got a local coordinator. They're on the website, on the NAP7 website. So, yeah, yeah, it is a sort of call to, yeah, and it's something, the aim of the editorial what is, yeah, and that's available free on the anesthesia journal website, so everybody can read it, is to sort of get the anesthesia community energized so we can together find out more about perioperative cardiac arrest to improve the care we have, improve how these cases are managed, how colleagues are cared for if they have one of these catastrophic events and ultimately to improve care for our patients. Yeah, I think um, what I've seen on social media over the last few days is is, is that enthusiasm like you describe, and, and there has been a lot of tweeting and there's been a lot of interest and a lot of engagement. And I think um, NAP7, um, like you say, has been something that maybe was talked about a few years ago. Now it's back again. It's great to see it's back and it's great to see it's back in the headlines and people are talking about it and, and we're going to see the start of it. Um, but when, when do you think, when are you hoping that the, um, um, some of the results might start coming through as, uh, as finished papers, what sort of dates are you setting yourselves as a target? So starting on June the 16th, we're going to be collecting data over one year. So that will take us to June 2022. And then there'll be a bit of a lag in terms of getting all the data in. So I'm, we're looking at 2023. There may be some aspects like the activity survey data or the baseline survey data that we'll be able to publish before then. But I think the main report and the main outputs will be in uh, 2023, yeah, mid-2023. And that's based on how long it's taken for previous NAPs. So, you know, if we can go quicker than that, we will. But we're going to have far more cases to look at. So it's... It's going to be a, f- a few years, I'm afraid, but uh, it's still going to be, I think there'll still be important updates between now and when the final report comes out in terms of baseline survey and other bits. So to keep the enthusiasm going, we're going to have to have things to you know, update and you know, keep, keep people reporting for a full year. So there will be some outputs over the next few years before the final report comes out. Yeah, it's great to see you've got a, a talented bunch of fellows as well with you. And uh, I've had a look at the website and I've had a look at some of the people on the team and it's it's really rather impress- impressive indeed. So it's um, uh, a great bunch of talented people that are going to hopefully bring bring this um, project to uh, to its conclusion by, by those times. Um, so thank you very much, everyone. That was a, a really good discussion. And uh, we're going to turn this into a podcast, uh, which will be, be available on Spotify and iTunes. Uh, and uh, this will be available forever on Twitter, um, clicking on the link. Um, but importantly, go away and, and have a look at the editorial and make sure you give it a good read. It's it's completely free. Uh, it'll take you um, a, an hour or so to read. It's, it's a really important document. Uh, I'd encourage everyone to go and read. Um, so thank you very much from everyone. Um, and uh, thank, you. Bye. thank you very much. The Anesthesia Podcast. <laughs>